Hello and welcome to the latest installment of Borders Blatherings, our little podcast in which we shine a light on the curious, shadowy, and often very magical history of the Scottish borderlands. Mary, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Doug? I, I'm not too bad. I'm recovering from a little bit of illness. And apologies that my throat seems a little bit hoarse. <laughs> I'm sure you're Are you fine. working on a new book at the moment? I have just started researching a book about witches in colonial India. Witches in colonial India? Uh-huh, indeed, indeed. So I'm at the very, very early stages of chasing that up. That I shall read, because I could write on the back of a bus ticket what I know about witches in (laughs) India. But interesting you say that. Um, Before we start on today's topic, where we're going to talk about, I believe, a particular gentleman who hailed from these parts, in fact, from nearby Selkirk, Mm -hmm. I thought I'd start with this. Um, Dr. David Livingston. I presume <laughs> is 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 well known throughout the English speaking world. Yeah. You see what I did there, Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see what I did. Um, whereas the guy we're going to talk about today is perhaps much less well known, mm-hmm. but maybe in your opinion, and you can help our listeners understand, is probably more important and worth knowing about. I would argue, yes. Uh-huh. Um, this came to me as a topic, and we're going to talk about a gentleman named of Mungo Park. Yeah. At a recent trip to the Great Tapestry of Scotland, uh, which now has a permanent home in nearby Galashiels, and I would advise any of our listeners who are planning to come to the Scottish borders in the future to take a visit mm-hmm. uh, and have a look at the Great Tapestry. When I visit that, and maybe recently for the fifth or sixth time, I used to take students there, language students there, when it was housed in the Parliament building in Edinburgh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm often transported back to my early school days, <laughs> to schoolboy history. Uh, you know, when I sat with 35 other people in a, in a, in a, in a classroom uh, with a big map of the world behind us, with big swathes of pink. Yeah, <laughs> all over. Where, if not drummed into us, the the whole image of the British Empire was was there. Yeah, in yeah. In, in in image mm-hmm. form. And this morning on my walk with Cassie, I met a couple of people, and I said to them, uh, "Up today we're recording a podcast, and we're going to talk about Mungo Park." Mm-hmm. Both of the people I spoke to said, "Ooh." Yeah. <laughs> And when I said, what can you tell me about Dr. David Livingston? Oh, yeah, Dr. David Livingston, I presume. Mm -hmm. Uh, Meeting with Stanley and so on. And that reminded me of my schoolboy history, Mm -hmm. where these tales, when I'm a very young boy, these tales of adventure and daring do and the the empire were all around. Mm -hmm. So my question is, why do few of us know about Mungo Park? I mentioned the tapestry. There is a panel on the Great Tapestry of Scotland. I think it's entitled Scotland in Africa. Mm-hmm. Banner headlines. Mm-hmm. David Livingston. Yeah. In a week, corner, Mungo Park. I know. 
why, man? <laughs> I don't know because he is, in my opinion, incredibly much more important than David Livingston. I'm glad you say that. Um, I mean, Mungo Park, yeah, so so let's start with the basics. He's from the Yarrow Valley, he's a local lad, um, his parents are tenant farmers, <coughs> they farm from the Duke of Buclue. he's relatively well off. He's a clever laddie, we're talking the end of the 18th century. Yeah. He's a clever laddie. And he's going to the grammar school in Selkirk, and then he's going to go up to Edinburgh University. And event initially, sorry, his parents wanted him eventually to go into the Church of Scotland, and that's important. All right. So right. they wanted him to be to be a minister in the Kirk. Um, but he goes off to Africa, and he does a whole heap of explorations in Africa. Um, unfortunately, he dies out there. But because of what he wrote about that, he has had a huge influence, I would say, to this day about what happened in Africa, much more so than David Livingstone. Much and more also, so. if, I, if, if I'm not wrong, he, he predates David Livingstone oh, yeah, yeah, significantly. Yeah, yes. Maybe I can ask you, he, he dies young-ish, yep. but yep. he's around at what I would say the age of the Enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Does he, Mungo Park, deserve to be up there with the likes of David Hume in terms of his significance during the Enlightenment period? That's I got the impression you were going to say some negative things about this chap. really difficult because he's significant, but I would say <clears throat> he's significant in a negative way, not a positive okay. way. Okay, okay. Um, it's, it's really difficult. Okay, he, starts, he goes to university. He's destined for the Kirk. He studies medicine and botany, does various things, and uh, initially he sets off to, to be a... He becomes an explorer, basically. Sets off his first journey, goes off to Sumatra, and he comes back from Sumatra, and he's discovered several types of fish that wasn't known to people, and birds and things, and he writes about this. And that sort of standard explorer stuff, you go out, you discover something new, you come back and you tell everybody in Europe, and everybody in Europe oozes and has over it, even though the local folk in Sumatra knew perfectly well who these fish were. Anyway, so that's fine. The problem is that he gets to know lots of different people. He gets to know his brother-in-law, and his brother-in-law's John Dixon, and he's involved in setting up the Linnaean Society, which is this Linnaean stuff is when you categorise plants and animals. So they're quite important and influential. And then there's an organisation called the Africa Association in London. Now, at this time, we're talking about 1780s, 1790s at this point. And, of course, all the colonial powers are having a look to see what they can steal from various places. And the African Association is set up because at that time, Britain was trading with Africa, but we were trading with West Africa and the coast of West Africa for things like beeswax, things like ivory, things like slaves. Um, Yeah, it's not our finest hour. But we had no idea what the interior of Africa was like. The thought was that there was nothing there. It was the dark continent. So the edge of Africa's fine, because yeah. you can trade for all these, but there's nothing in there. There's maybe like, I don't know, a couple of mud huts, a few natives and an elephant or two. That that was the thinking, you see? But as people were going across to South America and discovering more things and going out to the, the East Indies and India and discovering more things, 
the Africa Society gets set up and it was a group of explorers and philanthropists and capitalists and virgin so, capitalists. Sorry, this is not a trading company per no, se. Like no, this, this, is, this is exploration okay. at this point. Because as I say, the, the idea was there was nothing there. Yeah. And they're thinking, well, maybe we should send a couple of explorers out just to, you know, just to make sure that there were only mm-hmm. a couple of natives yeah. with a couple of mud huts. And so uh, Mungo Park pitches up and says, well, well I'll go out. So off he goes in the uh, in the late part of the 18th century, and he's on his he's on his ship, and he goes out there, and he gets to Gambia. Now he had this theory about the Niger and the Congo rivers, mm-hmm. and he decided it was the same river, and that was he was going to find this out. He was going to explore this. He was going to prove this. So off he goes, and he has various adventures, and he he sets off with a guide and various other people. And he writes a great chronicle about this and he goes off and he finds the Niger River and he does explore quite a way up the length of the Niger River where no Europeans had been before. He was, in fact, the, the first Westerner, I think, to reach the, 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 the heart of the Niger. Not quite the heart of the Niger, but pretty close, pretty to, close. Pl- pretty okay. close to the source. And that was fine. And he came back and, as I say, he was thoroughly convinced uh, that the Niger and the Congo were the, were the same river. And that's fine. The problem was when he came back home to Britain because he had seen amazing things in the heart of Africa and he wrote this book called Travels in the Interior and this is the problem because you were talking about daring do and adventure. Well, that book was daring do and adventure and that book said to the whole world there's stuff in the centre of Africa that we can have. And it's really interesting that his family wanted him for the Kirk of Scotland because he wrote various contradictory things. He wrote things like, um, there's no difference between black people and white people. We're all just the same. And you think, well, that's good. He's a good guy. Fantastic. But then two pages on in his chronicle, it'll say something like, oh, well, I saw some of the slaves and they looked a bit miserable. I think, a bit miserable. And um, the slaves were asking me, did white people eat black people? Because that's what they thought would happen mm. when they went across the sea. Because, of course, slavery at that time in Africa, the, form, the main form of slavery at that time in some of the areas in Africa was that if, you, if village A beat up village B, the men in village B would become slaves for seven years and then they would be released to go back yeah. to their village. Yeah. We pitch up. And we say, can we buy some slaves? And people go, ah, that's fine, not a problem. We put them on ship and hoy them across the Atlantic, never to be seen again. So the folk in Africa thought that white people ate black people because, you know, slavery was something that you did for a set period of time and then you went home again. Within African societies at that time, we take them, and the people never came back. So they thought, "Well, well, what did they do with them? Where did they go? You know, so it shifts from a sharing of labour as it all. Yeah, you become chattel slavery. You see, so it became very odd. And of course, this sort of capturing somebody after a battle only works if there are battles happening. Because we pitch up and we say to the slave traders, "Go and find us some folk," and they think, "Oh, there haven't been any battles recently. We'll just go and kidnap some folk and drag them off into slavery." So I think they would have looked a bit more than miserable. So all of this is going on. And Mungo Park saying, oh, well, they looked a bit down in the dumps. And I said to them, no, we didn't eat them. I'm thinking, oh, that's a really odd, odd. statement. Yeah. But I think one of the biggest problems at Mungo Park was that he had the... Have you heard of the hermetic myth? Oh, wow. The hermetic myth. So 
basic European Christianity, not Christianity from the Middle East. This yep, is European yep, yep, version yep, of Christianity. Yep. You know, you know the blonde, blue-eyed Jesus that we oh, have yeah. in Europe. Oh, oh right, yeah. him. Right. So the idea was that we were everybody was descended from Adam and Eve, and that worked until we went out of Europe to discover that there were people that weren't blonde and blue-eyed, and we couldn't work that out because if we're all descended from Adam and Eve, we would all look the same. So we had a look in the Bible and we decided that ah. Remember the bit where Ham comes across Noah when he's drunk and he's practically got his bum out because apparently he had his trousers down for some reason? I don't know why. He was drunk. And Ham uncovered his father's shame, as they say. And because of that, God punishes Ham. Never understood why God didn't punish Noah for being drunk and not having his trousers on, but there you go. God punishes Ham and all of his descendants by darkening their skin and saying that they are slaves and servants. So if that's what your understanding of the world is, when you pitch up in Africa like Mungo Park, you might say there's no difference between black people and white people, but the Bible says that black people are inferior because they're descended from Ham. So you've got all of this mixture of things going on in Mungo Park. But as I say, so he goes off, has his sort of exploration adventures, explores a lot of the Niger River and some of the Congo River, and he comes back and he writes this book, Adventures in the Interior. And it's published in 1799, and it is an absolute hit. Everybody has fallen over themselves for this book. And the problem with this book is that it is published into every European language. And every single European adventurer... Can I say that in the podcast? Well, yeah, I have now. On. Government, <laughs> unscrupulous sod thinks, I'm going to Africa because there's stuff to be got in there. I can get rich. And every single bit, I would argue, of colonial exploration and exploitation of Africa comes because of that book. Because previously, because previously nobody cared. Yeah. Britain traded with India. The Dutch traded with East India, Portuguese and and the Spaniards traded with Central America. All of a sudden, he writes a book full of daring do. There are elephants and hippopotamuses and rhinoceroses and lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. And all these things. And there's ivory and there's gold. Well, there must be gold. Of course there must be gold. gold Exactly. And all of a sudden, every government in the world went, oh, what about that? And within four years, it's no longer the Africa Association that are battered down Mungo Park's door, it's the British government. It's the government. And the British government say, get back out there to Africa, check out the Niger and Congo rivers, find the sources and plant the flag for us. We're having it before Germany or France or anywhere else goes out there. So, hugely significant, but I would say a negative significance there with Mungo Park. So you've laid the, the, I won't yeah, you've laid the blame firmly at the door of Mungo Park's writings. Yes. And, and it's interesting because there's a parallel with um, what 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 is arguably one of the most dangerous books ever written called Germania mm, by Tacitus. Yes, yes. And how that has been used uh, as a base mm-hmm. for a lot of pseudoscientific nonsense, mm-hmm. uh, and and as a it's the right thing to do type yep. of behaviour. Yep. Yeah. By by various governments. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It's interesting what you say about darkest Africa, slave labor. These are terms that still exist mm-hmm. today. Yes. When something is yeah. impenetrable, when I worked in the corporate yeah. world, I had a consultant friend 
who, if anything was impenetrable, would mm -hmm. would often use the, the phrase darkest in yeah. Africa. Then you get the later books, The Heart of Darkness, all the these sorts of, darkness, of things. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I have had people say <coughs> to me, it's not Mongo Park's fault um, because well, yeah. uh, somebody else could have written that book mm -hmm. and the governments could have exploited them. True, but somebody True. else didn't write the book. Mungo Park wrote the book. Yep. Mungo, Park, Mungo Park could have done his exploration, come back to Scotland, got married, which he did, had a family, which he did, settled down to be a doctor, which he did, which he did. written about his exploits, handed the book to his friends and his family, everybody would have oohed and ahed and said he was wonderful, had it printed in the Scottish borders, everybody would have said he was great and they would have put a statue up to him. There is a statue, we'll talk about that later. Um, he could have done all that and that would have been it and he could have spent the rest of his life in the borders, being a doctor and being, oh, that was the guy that went to Africa, isn't he exciting? No, no, no. He goes down to London. He gets the biggest publisher he can find in London to publish uh -huh. that book. Yeah. He makes sure that that book is published in French and German and Italian and Spanish and Dutch and every other language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was the one, and the minute that book is published in London, he becomes the toast of London. He himself had gone to the Africa Association. They hadn't gone to him. He had gone to him. He had been pushing for a job with the Africa Association. He wanted to do all of this. He comes back to Scotland. He gets married. He gets a job as a doctor in Peebles. And then, again in the Scottish borders. Again in the Scottish borders. Uh, have I upset anyone from Peebles? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then the government come to him. They approach him and say, will you go back? He could have said no. He could have quite easily said, well, no, I'm sorry, I've got a wife and two children who are dependent on me, but never mind, tatty bye, dear, I'm offski. I'm a medical doctor in Peebles, I've got all my patients that are dependent yeah. on me. Yeah. But no, he's off, he's back into Africa. And he does his second exploration. And this is what's fascinating about Mungo Park. He only ever went to Sumatra once in Africa twice before he died. He didn't actually discover that much about Africa. It's that ah, damn right, book right. he wrote. It's, it's, the, the, it's the, book. the book. So he goes back to Africa the second time. And again, he's going to prove that the Niger and the Congo are the same river. They're not, by the way, but he was determined to prove it. And that's that's not having a go at him then because people genuinely didn't know. Yeah. So he goes back to Africa the second time, goes back on his expedition. This time he's got, oh, he takes some slaves with him this time. Oh, the, the, the white people and black people being the same, that's completely out the window now. He's got slaves with him, oh, carrying all the bags, no okay, doubt. Oh, okay. aye. So, so there's him, there's a couple of mercenary soldiers, <coughs> and there's some slaves who are obviously doing all the hard work, and they decide to go, to go up the river. They're going up the Niger to see where they can get to. Now, he is warned that the local traders and the local tribes don't like European people. Because European people have got this really bad habit of pitching up, stealing all the young men for slavery and, and leaving again. Thing. Exactly. We're not liked. We're not popular. We are not welcome. He ignores all of this because, of course, he's British. It doesn't matter. So he's in his canoe with all the rest of them and they're going up the river. And as they go up the river, they're going through different tribal territories. And again, he is warned that there's a Mandinka guide with him. And he says, as we go into the different tribal areas, you should... Say hello to the local chief. You should give him something as a toll or a present so that we can safely pass through the area. And Mungo Park says, nah, not doing that. Oh! Nah, I don't need to because I'm a white European. What do I need to do? Whatever. So he goes up the river. So obviously people get a bit annoyed and they're a bit worried. And, and people keep saying to him, but they don't like us, they don't trust us. So in a couple of areas, the, the, the party gets attacked by the local tribes. 
the local tribes have bows and arrows and spears. He's got guns. So he shoots. He also has a very bad habit of shooting people first and asking questions afterwards. Mm. So there's two or three occasions where apparently folk came out in canoes, local people came out in canoes, they weren't attacking him and he shot them before they'd even know, because they were coming out to ask him who he was and where he was going. He shoots them. He just assumes that everybody's antagonistic or he assumes it's perfectly okay and he just keeps fighting people. questions letter scenario you can no longer answer. And as he keeps going up the river, because he's doing this, people are telling the next tribe up, the next lot of people up, there's this white guy coming up the river in a canoe with slaves. He's shooting people. He won't give tribute. He won't give tolls. Mm. He says he's here to look at the river. What's he looking at the river for? We all know where the river is. Why do you want to look at a river? They don't trust him at all, and it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And eventually it gets to the stage where they're attacked, and him... And the party are all killed. He and actually two others drown in the river mm. because there's nothing else they can do. I'm that's surprised that's he, all he's yeah. done. He didn't discover anything. I, I, I'm surprised. <laughs> and I'm not liking this guy now, Mary. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised you say that about um, meeting the, the, the important people locally. Now, you know, I lived and worked in Turkey for many years, in mm-hmm. southern Turkey. Mm-hmm. And I traveled around. Mm-hmm. Uh, running English classes in, in different parts of southern Turkey. And every time I moved to a new location, the f- first thing I did was meet the mayor, the local head of the army, and the local head of the police. Yep. It was mandatory. It's just, it's just what it you do. It was too dangerous for me otherwise. Exactly. And he was being told repeatedly, I, this is what you need to do. Uh-huh. And he just repeatedly didn't bother. Now, I don't know if this was because... He as an individual was particularly arrogant, um, but it was Perhaps. certainly informed by the fact that he was a white European. He was there on government business as far mm. as he was concerned, yeah. and he did not care what the damn natives were talking about. Yeah. He had yeah. absolutely no concern for everybody else. I mean, one of, the, one of the oddest things is he has two or three soldiers with him, and they were just mercenary soldiers, and he actually calls one of them mad. And this is how he described it. Oh, it wasn't any good for anything because he was mad. Mm. I think he's so disrespectful yeah. to people. Yeah. And then after he dies, um, a few years later, one of his sons goes out to Africa to see if he can find the body or find out if he's really dead or alive or whatever. And he dies of fever. So goodness knows what. Mrs. Park, who's stuck in the borders, who's mm. now a widow and having lost one of her sons, she's completely ignored. I mean, she gets a pension from the Africa Society, but he didn't, you know, he didn't discover the source of the the Niger or the Congo. He didn't prove they were the same river, because they're not. He didn't discover the source of the Nile. He didn't, you know, there is nothing that you can say, he did this. He explored the interior of Africa, came home, wrote a book that basically said it's there for the exploitation. It's what he did. Well, very (laughs) fantastic, because we, in my... In my off-pad introduction to these installments, I say, we shine a light. And you, you're certainly <laughs> shining a light yeah. on the significance, albeit negative in many yeah. ways, of this man. And you're answering my question of perhaps why he's much less well-known. Yeah, because there's nothing to say. There is nothing positive to say about Mungo. But, but in the nearby town of Selkirk, there is a statue 
Yeah, a huge big statue of him. Mungo Park in the in the Market Square, I think it's called. No, it's in the middle of the road. In the middle of the road, basically, It's yeah. the stupidest place to put a statue I've ever seen. People, literally, folks, for those of you that don't know the borders, come to Selkirk, <laughs> drive out of the Market Square along the Carefully. main street, <laughs> and you will have to go round the statue, <clears throat> which sticks out in the middle of the road. Yeah, I, I remember it well. Now, the reason I mention that is some weeks ago, I came across a albeit local story, mm. about damage to the statue yes. of Mungo Park, yeah. who is there, linguistically, on a pedestal. Uh-huh. Oh, oh. I wish he weren't. <laughs> um, and I read the story, but there was no conclusion as to the, the reason for the damage to this statue. No, no. Did, did you, and then I became ill, and I didn't get to the... The, the final what has there been a final conclusion was there, it, a, it a Black Lives Matter protest was it mm, a drunk driver uh, I'm not sure I haven't heard that there has been any conclusion it might just have been some local folks in in Selkirk mucking about it might have been Black Lives Matter in which case it actually would be a very good statue to be looking at you've made a and, case for that now. yeah I mean uh, yeah. I mean I'm. I. I have mixed feelings about statues. Obviously, uh, I. You know, when you when you put somebody on a pedestal, you are venerating them. So it is very difficult if they are a negative person, as Mungo Park appears to be. I can't find a redeeming <coughs> feature for him. The fact that he even abandoned his wife, and you know, uh, I cannot find a redeeming feature for this man. Yeah, yeah. Um. So so I don't know if it was a Black Lives Matter protest. Although he would be ripe for for some sort of protest, and I'm surprised. I think that's why so few people know that he exists or can see what he did, because, yeah. you know, we all know about Livingston. We know where he yeah. did, we know yeah. what he did. We know, what, And, of course, there are lots of missionary schools out in Africa still that still bear his name. If you go out to, uh, there are two or three African countries where he is revered because of what he did. He brings in mission schools, he brings in hospitals, he works with the local population. I mean, he did go out as an explorer, you know, and he did have all of the, the, you know, the, the philosophy of being a white explorer and being all white and European and we're in charge and you're black people and you don't know any better. You know, he wasn't perfect, but on the whole, he worked with local people yeah. um, and, and they seem to have a good memory of him. As far as I'm aware, there is nowhere in any African country where they've got anything. There are no statues to Mungo Park in Nigeria or, or Gambia or anywhere else or Senegal. You know. You know, when we're off rec- recording and we're having a cup of tea together, I often go back to my time when I ran a community development project in South Bristol. Mm-hmm. And throughout Bristol, everyone, everyone knew about Colston. Mm-hmm. There was the Colston Hall. Mm-hmm. There was the Colston Grammar School. There, 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 there was White Ladies Road. There was Black Boy Hill. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was part of a movement to try and have the statue of Colston mm-hmm. taken down and put into a contextual museum. Yeah, yeah. And this is a long, long, long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And all, all of the efforts, and Tony Benn, who was MP there at the time, was part of that group. These were rebuffed. Mm-hmm. And so when, quite recently, or relatively recently now, the good people pulled down the statue of Colston and dumped him in the, the, the river, um, and my, my, my thought was, well, we could have dealt with this a long, long, long time yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. 
and we've created that situation. And yet, very few people, even locally, are aware of the impact of Mungo Park. Yeah. Not as if the high school's named after him. There's no Mungo Park Hall or anything I'm aware of. There's no Mungo Park Street or anything like that. So you're saying you you can see why there could have been uh, damage to the statue by way of protest, Mm -hmm. but it could also have been some drunk driver who crashed into it. Or or just just mucking about, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. What I do find interesting is the fact that if you even look at, I mean, there are a million and one biographies and books about Livingston. Yeah, there are yeah. very, very few about oh, Mungo yeah, Park. Yeah. There's no, there, and that happens relatively quickly. I mean, the statue gets put up to him because he was an explorer, and you have to give him that. Yeah. Although I always have problems with explorers because the explorer gets the statue, whereas the guides don't, and the bearers don't, and the slaves, and whoever else you help the people them. who do the work. Yeah. Exactly, the ones that do the work never get the statue. <clears throat> um, but I'm aware of being taught about Livingston oh, yeah. in school. Yeah. Mungo Park, I had no idea even existed until I moved to the borders. Uh-huh. No idea at all. So I find that, that a very curious little point. And I just wonder how quickly within the fact that about 25, 30 years after he died, it was discovered that the Congo and the Niger rivers were separate rivers. Were I think it was a German explorer, and I've forgotten his name at the moment. Anyway, it was discovered. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I yeah. think the fact that he didn't, you know, everybody at first is going, oh, Mungo Park, and oh, wasn't it terrible he died? And then they're sitting down and thinking, well, what did he actually find? Mm. What did he actually do? What did he actually discover? The bits that he discovered that were of interest were from his first journey out to Sumatra where he did come back with information about these different fish and different yeah. plants and animals, but the African stuff as I say, the book is is packed full of of facts about plants and animals and people and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. But it's written in such a way, it is a boy's own adventure book, uh-huh. really. Yeah. It's coming to Africa, adventure, exploit and daring do and you'll make your fortune and you'll make your name. And, you know, I mean, who's not going to want to do that? Yeah. And as I say, the British government was fallen over itself yeah. to get there before the other colonial powers. I'm back in that classroom and, again with, yeah, with, and with my Arthur Mee encyclopedia learning all this. Exactly. And, and if you stuff. look in the Arthur Mee book or if you look at the map that was yeah. in the wall in my childhood as well, you look at a map of Africa, you look at African nations and they have straight borders, yeah. which means somebody somewhere in Europe <coughs> sat with a map and a ruler because natural boundaries are not straight lines. The colonial powers literally carved up Africa and the basis for that was Mungo Park's book. And as I say, for all those who say, well, somebody else could have written the book, indeed they could have, but Mungo Park did. He did, yeah. And made damn sure it got published. It's like when I talk to people here about the Levant, I use the term the Levant, and they go, what what the hell are you talking about? Um, Mm. They have no concept because European, Western powers drew straight lines on a map. On a map, yeah. Uh, whereas the people who live there yeah. don't have that in their head. Borders. Um, well, you've done a very good assassination. I know. I'm, I'm desperately trying to find something positive to say about the man, but I can't. I really can't. Yeah. Um, that said, Mary, when I talked about the great tapestry and the panel Scotland in Africa, how would you sum up the rationale and the motivation and the drive behind all, all of those Scots who visited Africa 
around the, the end of the 18th century and subsequently. You said at the beginning, his parents wished him to go into the kirk. Yeah. Does he go out to Sumatra with this kind of missionary zeal in the first place? Is, is that seed already sown in his mind? No, not really. Not He's really. Okay. going out um, as the exploration. He trained as a doctor at Edinburgh mm. University, but seems to have found being a doctor boring. I mean, he, say, he says that himself, that he, he was bored by the fact that he was a doctor. Yeah. So he was looking for something, he was looking for exploration. And of course, remember, we're talking 17, you know, the 1790s. And if we can go back a hundred years and to our last podcast, <laughs> we had the Daddy Adventure. I, I, I'm always thinking about that <laughs> as we speak. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. the Scots are explorers. Yeah. And of course, although the Daddy Adventure became the Daddy Disaster, that look to explore. Scotland's a small country. And if you do want, you know, if you, you want to explore something that's different from Scotland, yeah. there are very few opportunities except to go out to places like Africa. Uh-huh. And so I think it was the fact that he was a little bit bored mm. by life in Selkirk. And then he was a little bit bored by life in Peebles. No disrespect to Selkirk or Peebles. Bored by life in Selkirk? But <laughs> he wanted more. He wanted something different. And yeah. that part of him yeah. you can admire. Mm. The fact that he abandoned his wife and children, mm, mm-hmm. well, maybe, but then that was of its time. That's what you were. That's what men did. Men went out and women stayed at home. So I'll sort of give him a pass on that one. Going out to Africa to see what there was to see, fantastic, brilliant idea. But not speaking to local natives or not speaking to the local tribes or not speaking to the yeah. local folk, yeah. Yeah. shooting people before even asking questions. Yeah. And um, saying that black people are the same as white people, but by the way, I want three slaves to carry my bags. Oh, yeah. I'm not forgiving him that. And that book, I'm sorry, I just can't forgive him that well, book. Well, you, 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 you so, got that. Yeah. And what you're saying plays into a, an issue I have with, I often hear, oh, the Scots and the Irish, culturally, they're great travellers. Well, I think it's not that binary. You have to think into clearances, plagues, mm, yeah. famines, yeah. And, and the drive. Yes, Yes. Also, if you're from a small country, yeah, if you look at the opportunities in a small country as opposed to the opportunities in a large country, it's it's not true, but there are a lot of people that say Americans don't have passports. (laughs) America is huge. If you live in California, you can go and explore, I don't know, Wisconsin or Arkansas or Florida or New Hampshire. If you're in Glasgow, what are you going to do? Explore Edinburgh. You know, we're a tiny little country. If yeah. you have that in your personality, yeah. you're going to leave. You're going to want to see something bigger. And the seeing something <coughs> bigger part is the positive. It's what you do once you've seen it yeah. and how you relate it to others. Instead of coming back and saying, Africa is this fantastic country and there are all these different peoples in there and there are all these different civilizations in there and there are all these different cultures in Africa mm-hmm. and there are amazing animals and flora and fauna, that would have been a positive. Yeah. But the way it was pitched now, I'm possibly going to be, I'm possibly going to backtrack here a little bit. The colonial governments were looking, because we're talking about, we're going into the 18th century, people are jockeying for position, you know, within Europe. So you're wanting to find places to rob them blind of their natural resources. So maybe they would have got, Britain would have got to Africa even without Mungo Park's book. But they absolutely picked up on that book and ran with it. And they didn't go there with a levelling up agenda. No, they went there to exploit as <laughs> much as possible. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, okay, e- e- excellent. I, I, I have a much clearer view of, of, of this man and his, his place. Yeah. In, in, yeah. in those. I did ask you a question before I rudely interrupted you <laughs> about the motivation and drive of this large number of Scots who set off. I'm going back to the tapestry. Scotland and Africa. What would you say, just as a finishing up point, what's the main drive and motivation? Are we talking exploitation more than anything else? Or are we spreading I, I, God's I, good word? I think there's push-pull. I think there's both. We okay. did go out there. We did have a huge numbers of missionaries, yeah. a very high percentage of missionaries in African countries yeah. were Scots. Um, partly, even though the Darien Venture had been 100 years before, Scotland was a pretty poor country. Yes, still. Indeed, indeed. Um, it was a small country, it was quite a parochial country, and again, you've got the Lowland Highlands split, so it's partly economic, wanting to better yourself, a bit of exploration, a bit of being pushed. Um, Yeah, I think there's a mixture of factors of being pulled to new places, like African countries or India, and also being pushed out of Scotland, because unless you became a doctor or a solicitor or a teacher... There wasn't really anything very much you could mm, do. Yeah, there was no, yeah. you know, for a lot of people, the first and the second sons were were inheriting the farm or becoming a minister. By the time you got to son number four or son number five, <laughs> Mungo yeah. Park, I think, was the seventh son out of ah, right. 13 children or something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, he was never going to inherit his dad's farm. or well, his dad was a tenant farmer, That's but you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I think yeah. I think it's a push and a pull, as it always is. Yeah. And personally, I... I've always had this issue with this old saw, travel broadens the mind. Mm. And I, you, you know what a modal verb is. I don't yeah. need to teach you modal verbs. But I always think there's a modal verb missing, yes. which is travel can, can. broaden yep. the mind. Yes. But not necessarily. Yes. I will, f- I will finish on an anecdote of a person I once knew several years ago. Thank you. Who proudly told me... Yeah that he had never been out of Britain. And I argued with him and I said, yes, you did. I said, because you went and collected your son when he was unwell on a school trip and you drove on the ferry and you went across to Cali. And this person proudly said, I never set foot out of the car. I picked my son up. That was a very well-educated person who seriously thought it was a point of pride to never have put his foot on foreign soil. So I doubt if travel would have ever broadened that <coughs> mind. That mind was never broad in the first place. <coughs> if there's one last thing we can possibly learn from Mungo Park is to look at his life and learn not to have those attitudes and not to treat other people as anything other than human beings as flawed as you and I. Mary, thank you. We have, as is our remit, Sean a light of Mr. Mungo Park. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. <laughs>